0: gonna go back just a little bit to um, something uh, a part of this that we read last Sunday night and um, we're not going to finish the chapter tonight Lord willing we will do that next Sunday night I don't know exactly what the plan is for next Sunday night because uh, those that went on the mission trip there'll be a mission trip presentation Uh, Next Sunday night, and I'm sure that will include some testimonies and things. And um, so I'm not quite sure uh, what the plan is uh, for that night. I'm just the pastor. When they tell me what to do, I'll I'll stand up here and do it. Um, So I don't know what uh, I don't know what's going to go on, but um, we'll not finish the chapter tonight. The next message will finish um, chapter 19. But I do want to back up a little bit in the text. And let's go back to verse 17. Verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. What was known? What was known was what the devil did to those seven sons of Sceva who tried to Call upon the name of Jesus to cast him out of a man. The Bible says that that man stood up, beat the fire out of them, ripped their britches off, and sent them out into the street. That's a bad day. You get beat up and then you run out in the street naked. That's never a good day, right there. Never any fun. And uh, so, though that obviously, when something like that happened, mm, yeah, it gets around. You're never going to believe this. But it it got around. Even without the aid of social media, it got around. And so people in Ephesus began hearing about this. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord was magnified. When you magnify something, you make it larger. You make it bigger. You make it more prominent, and that's what was happening here to the name of Jesus. Amen. It's getting larger. Now, stay with me tonight. If I Listen, if I don't think you're listening tonight, I'll preach this twice. Don't make me do that. There you go. A good amen every now and then will help. It says, Preacher, I got that. You can move on now. If I don't think you have it, then I'm going to keep preaching it till I think you have it. Fair enough? Amen. All right, this, listen, listen. I'm serious about the message tonight. We're having a little fun here, but I'm serious about the message tonight. I'm absolutely convinced a Fellowship Baptist Church needs this message tonight. And so, let's keep reading verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed... And showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things, verse 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia... Two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir, that means it was a big one, about that way. What way? The Christian way. So we're getting this huge uprising, and here it is. For a certain man, Named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsman, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and listen to what he said, sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. In other words, fellas, you know as well as I do that this is how we make our living. So he's kind of called a little union meeting here. All of the craftsmen, the craftsmen's union in Ephesus. He's called them together and said, fellas, you know that this is how we make our living. Moreover, verse 26, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost... Throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, translated a lot of customers, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Well, Paul wasn't the first to say that. The psalmist said that. I believe it was one of the the prophets said that as well. Verse 27, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Revival at Ephesus. That's going to be our focus tonight. Revival at Ephesus. May God bless the reading of His Word. From what we just read, it's apparent that the preaching of the Word of God was doing what the preaching of the Word of God is supposed to do. It was affecting change, and this change was affecting business as usual, as well it should have. Listen, when someone falls under the power of the preached Word of God and are convicted of their sin and they respond in the right way, it will no longer be business as usual in their life. No, no. It's not business as usual, because the business now has a new owner. And this new owner's name is Jesus. And the new owner has a new business plan. And that business plan is going to send that business in a new direction. Now, in case some of you aren't paying attention or maybe you're just not catching my drift here, let me say that like the Bible says it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So it's not business as usual. No, no, things are changing because of the preached Word of God and the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. We saw this... We saw how this is supposed to work in our text. Look back at verse 17, and this, says, As this was known of all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling at Ephesus. Fear fell on them, the name of the Lord was magnified. And many, look at this, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them which had used curious arts brought their books together. And burned them before all men. How many of you think that sounds like business as usual? No, 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 no. Business is changing in Ephesus. Amen. And they were burned, and they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. So, do you see what's happening here? Is the word of God, or, or excuse me, as word of what God did? to the seven sons of Sceva, got out among the, uh, the, the believers in Ephesus, business as usual was radically affected. Those who had been saved earlier in Paul's ministry, listen now, but were still holding on to many of the sinful things in their past lives made a full and complete break from those things. We're talking tonight about people who were involved in cultic practices, even though they were saved. They repented publicly. That is, they had a change of mind that led to a change of heart. And that change of heart led them to bring all of their satanic and idolatrous books and figures and all of that stuff, dump them in a pile, and set them on fire. Now listen, folks. That's no small thing. I said this last week that the price of those things that they had piled up and set fire to was equal to 50,000 days worth of wages. Now, I didn't do this last week. I did it this week. I, I tried to do some research and and find out. Well, what would that? What would the equivalent of that be in today's economy? And here's what I was able to find: anywhere, listen, anywhere from four to seven million dollars. Four to seven million dollars of things that were leading to sin in their life were all put in a pile. Lit on fire and they went up in smoke and they were reduced to ashes. When the Word of God is preached and the Holy Spirit convicts us of things in our lives that should not be there, this ought to be our response. I'm talking about a wholesale change in the way we live. Out with the old, and in with the new, whatever that may mean for you, whether it's music, or clothes, or habits, or TV viewing practices, whether it's your internet history, or your friends or your language or your priorities it doesn't matter if it doesn't please god it needs to go and it will when we experience genuine personal revival like these ephesians did can you imagine for the mic can you imagine the members a Fellowship Baptist Church bringing laptop computers and iPads and notebooks and iPhones. You say, preacher, is there anything wrong with those things? No, no, stay with me. That's not the point. There's nothing wrong with those things. What's wrong with those things are what they allow you to do and what you do with those things. And so I'm, I'm taking for granted that some of you use those things for purposes that do not honor God. And I think I know this church well enough to know that there are probably some folks that are using those kinds of things to go to places and to look at things and to view things and to download things that if it were known would not magnify the name of Jesus. And so I'm talking about a revival of the preached Word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God that would lead people to say, well, that's taking me to places I don't need to go, and it's causing me to think things that I don't need to think, and I'm seeing things that I don't need to see, and I'm saying things that I don't need to say, and I'm carrying on relationships that I don't think I need to be carrying on. And so we're going to have a burning next Sunday night, and so I'm bringing it. Cigarettes and beer and wine and tobacco and CDs of music that don't please God and clothes that aren't modest. I'm talking about anything else that we use to engage in sin and that does not honor the name of Jesus. And we come together next Sunday night and we pile them all up in the back of the building or maybe just for, for public sake, we pile them all up in the middle of the parking lot and we douse it with gas and we light a match to it. Praise God. No, that's the kind of personal revival that I'm talking about some of us need. Are you with me? I'm not playing tonight. Not one bit. I'm not trying to be sensational tonight. I'm being straight up honest with you. That's the kind of revival that we need in our church on July the 29th. 2018, these people in Ephesus were saying, we have found in Jesus something far more valuable than these things. We have found in Jesus, and we have found that Jesus himself is far more fulfilling and lasting and fun and helpful than any of those things. What we have found in Jesus is eternal. Those things are are just temporal. These Ephesians were saying that Jesus is so precious to us that there is nothing that we will not give up for him. Andrew Murray said this about revival. A true revival, he said, means nothing less than a revolution. I used that word this morning. Casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and His love Triumph in the heart and life. J.I. Packer, in his book, Marks of Revival, said this No upsurge of religious interest or excitement merits the name revival if there is no profound sense of sin. At its heart. God's coming and the consequent impact of his word makes Christians much more sensitive to sin than they previously were. Consciences become tender, and a profound humbling takes place. The perverseness, ugliness, uncleanness, and guilt of sin are seen and felt with new vividness. You know you've experienced a personal revival when you can no longer tolerate the perverseness and ugliness and uncleanness, and the guilt of sin in your life. I'm convinced tonight that Fellowship Baptist Church could use a a good church-wide move of the Holy Ghost among us. I'm talking about from the pulpit to the pew. I'm talking about one that leads us to go home and clean house. For some, that may very well mean getting rid of alcohol. Well, preacher, don't you understand that Jesus turned the water into wine? All right, bucko, listen to me. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights too. You go do that, then you come to me and try to convince me that it's all right to use alcohol. Listen, listen, dude, you can't pick and choose what parts of Jesus' life you want to emulate. Well, I want to drink. I want God. Jesus did it. Yeah, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights too. And you can't even go one hour, two hours, one day, half a day without eating a meal. When you can fast 40 days and 40 nights like Jesus did, you come talk to me and try to justify the use of alcohol. But until you can do that, don't even try. For some, that may very well mean go home. We clean out the fridge. For others, it may mean canceling those channels that bring all kinds of sin into your home. It could mean going home and tossing away those cigarettes or tossing away that shoe and putting it in the dumpster. It could mean deleting Snapchat from your phone and at least getting a filter for both your phone and your internet. But what would probably be best at this point is to just... If you have a problem with pornography, is to just get rid of all internet access. Whether you know it or not, you used to live without it. It could mean cleaning out your closet, it could mean parting ways with some friends. Whatever it is that's perverse and ugly or unclean, listen to me tonight. Those things need to go. Wow, preacher, what's wrong with you, man? That's, that's all radical and stuff. Yeah, so is burning forty or four to seven million dollars worth of property. That's pretty radical, if you ask me. Hey, listen, Jesus, here's what he said. I don't know if I put it on there or not. I may not have. But here's what he said. If thy right eye offend thee, help me out, church. Do what? Pluck it out. And cast it from thee. And if thy right hand offend thee, help me, cut it off. And cast it from thee. Oh, preacher, man, you're talking about putting a filter on my phone and a filter on my internet. Or maybe even getting rid of the internet. Or throwing away whatever it is I'm supposed to throw it away. That's pretty radical. Alright, if that's too radical for you, then let's get together after church and I'll just cut off your right hand. Or I'll just pluck out your right eye. How many of you would trade a computer for an arm? I'd rather have my arm than a computer. I'd rather have both eyes than a cold one in the fridge. Oh, that's just just radical. No, it's not. Not at all. And by the way, Jesus didn't say pluck it out and leave it laying around somewhere. Hello? Yeah, pluck that eye out, but just put it in the dresser by the bed. and Forget about it. Yeah, you, every time you try to open that eye and can't see anything, you're going to remember where it is. People say, well, I, man, I, I don't want to get too radical. I, I don't want to just, like, throw it all away, so I'll just, I'll just put this shoe over here in the glove box. Yeah, and when you get stressed and you really think you need it, you're going to know exactly where to go to get it. But if you throw it in the trash and let the the trash people take it to the dump, you're going to learn a new way to cope with your stress. You're going to learn a new way to cope with your worry. Mercy, it may even lead you to take time to go into the Word of God. It may even force you to take some time to spend with the Prince of Peace. Now, he didn't, say, he didn't say, pluck it out and just kind of toss it over there, leave it laying around somewhere, or, or just make it, listen, cut your, cut your right hand off and, and just make it harder for you to get to. That's not what he said. Not at all what he said. He said, cast it from thee, throw it away, cancel it, change it. That's radical. Listen to me tonight, church. It's the price of revival. And we will never have real revival personally or corporately until we're willing to pay the price. What we see happening in our text and what we need to see happening in our homes and in our church is what one Scottish preacher termed, and I love this. I'd never heard this until this week. He called it the expulsive power of a new affection. Let that sink in. What we saw, what we see happening, what we read about happening in the book of, of Ephesians is what he called the expulsive power of a new affection. We will never experience a heaven sent Holy Spirit wrought revival until we value Jesus more than we value our own sinful, worldly, carnal pleasure. Either some of you are terribly under conviction or you didn't get what I just said, so I'm going to say it again. We will never experience a heaven sent, Holy Spirit wrought revival until we value Jesus more than we value our own sinful, worldly, carnal pleasure. We will never experience revival until we experience the expulsive power of a new affection. John said in 1 John 2 15, love, that's affection. He said, Don't have affection for the world, neither are the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In Colossians, Paul said this If ye then be risen with Christ, seek that is a conscious, choice that you make and that I make. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set, again, that's a conscious choice. Set your what, church? Affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And please note, this is so important. And I'm convinced this is where so many people go wrong. Paul did not say, or just say, take your affection away from earthly things. He said, refocus your affection and set them on heavenly things things which are above. Paul said of the Thessalonians that they turned to God from idols. Now stay with me. They didn't just turn from their idols, they turned to God. Look at it. For they themselves show of us what manner of entrance we had to you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Church, that is the expulsive power of a new affection. That same Scottish preacher I mentioned a moment ago, made this point, and here's really what I'm talking about tonight, a new affection is more successful in replacing an old affection than simply trying to end it, talking about the old affection, without replacing it with something better. And so here's what I'm convinced, Brother Steve, I'm coming down on the floor. You don't have to shoot me a text. I know how you already feel about it. Here's what he's saying. You know, so many times we hear a message like this or somebody will come along in a revival or, or, or we'll get preached at uh, really hard and Spirit of God will convict us in a, in a men's meeting and we'll turn from this and we'll turn from that and we'll throw this away and we'll throw that away and we'll stop doing this and we'll stop doing that. But listen, that's not the end of it. That's where we really, really mess up is when we just stop doing stuff and we get things out of our life and we think to (laughs) ourselves boom i did it i'm good no listen listen if you don't replace those things with something better Me back up a minute. If you don't replace those things with someone better, Amen. his name is Jesus, all you're doing is creating a vacuum, and it's going to suck you right back into where you were. Listen, even the world has figured that out. I mean, even addiction recovery programs that aren't even faith-based have figured that out, that if you, when you get out of, the, out, of, out of the treatment, if you don't have somebody waiting for you that's better than the people that you were hanging out with, you're going to get sucked right back into where you were. And we ought to be smart enough to know, if, listen, if the world has already figured that out, then as God's people, we need to figure that out. You can't just get rid of something, you've got to put something else in its place. Something better, something more fulfilling, something more rewarding, something that's eternal and not just temporal. The bottom line is, you've got to start loving Jesus more. Not just not doing bad things, you've got to start doing good things you got to start doing those things for the right reason. We'll talk about that in a minute. I think I've already passed the .5 mark in the sermon. I don't think this is going to be one of those halves. Said by somebody that's probably already had supper. (laughs) Just kidding. Listen, you would have thought that if anything was gonna create a short message tonight, it would have been the fact we're having a watermelon. Your preacher loves watermelon. And I know this isn't as cool as a watermelon feed, but if anybody could ever manufacture a cantaloupe feed, and really if we could just do both of them at one time, I'm telling you, you'd probably have my funeral the middle of next week. Because I would eat and eat and eat and eat. You take a good piece of watermelon and a good piece of cantaloupe, put a little salt on it, and boom. Wow. Is that right, Jesse? Jesse's going, yeah, buddy. It's like, move on, preacher. Let's go get some watermelon. Church, listen, what I'm talking about tonight is a matter of the heart. We can't just stop loving something. We have to be convinced that there's something, or again, someone who is worthy, more worthy of our love. And we can't just make a list of of do's and don'ts. Because at that point, we're just dealing with the symptom and not the cause. It's like going out into your your front yard and snagging up a dandelion and snagging up another one, another one, another one. Just by what you can see, you go out in the morning or the next morning and you're going to find that little sucker is right back where it was. Why? Because you didn't get the root. You didn't get to the root of the problem. The root is the problem. You got to get down in there. You got to kill the roots. And so, if we're really going to deal with sin in our lives and experience personal revival, then we've got to get to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. And the problem of the heart is this we don't love Jesus like we should. Go to the book of Revelation. I've got this on the screen, but I want to read some other verses that I didn't put up there. Some of you that know your Bible know that Jesus wrote a letter to this very same church that I'm holding up to you as an example of revival. Now listen, we can't deny what went on in Ephesus. It was real. I mean, God was winning and the Holy Spirit was moving and people were being changed and sin was being tossed away and and a difference was being made in people's lives. But eventually... church at Ephesus fell out of love with Jesus. Listen to me tonight. That can happen. Look at it, verse 1. Under the church, or under the angel will be the pastor. Of the church at Ephesus Right, these things saith, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, said, I know your works, said, I know your labor, I know your patience. I'm fully aware of how you can't bear with them which are evil, and, and, and you've tried them which say they are apostles, and, and you found them out to be liars. I know you've borne and you have patience, verse 3, and for my name's sake you've labored and it's not fainted. God said, listen, church at Ephesus, I I see these things. I I know you're doing these things, and and I know what's going on in the the midst of you, and I know that you're doctrinally sound, and I know that you're preaching the book, and I I know that you're working hard, and I know that you're doing all the things that that church people ought to do. Nevertheless, he said in verse 4, I have somewhat. Against thee. Oh, say on, Jesus, what is it? Thou hast left thy first love. You know what revival is? It's getting back to our first love. Sadly, the church at Ephesus had sunk to the place, listen to me, and seriously, I'm going to wrap it up. They had sunk to the place where they were carrying out their Christian responsibilities with diminishing love for the Lord. Now let me switch gears here just a minute. Because I've I've hit sin pretty hard tonight. And I've done it on purpose. I didn't stumble across those things. It was very intentional. But the truth is tonight, some of you may not have a single issue with any of those things that I mentioned. You don't drink alcohol. You don't use tobacco in any form. You don't look at pornography. You dress modestly. You don't participate in anything that dishonors the name of the Lord. Would you listen to me tonight? What you're guilty of is just going through the motions. whether it's Sunday school or children's church or your bus route or choir or greeting or parking lot ministry or whatever it is. You're just going through the motions. Your heart's not Jesus didn't throw down a big sin bomb on the church at Ephesus in his letter in the book of Revelation. He said, I know, and he started listing some really, really good things about the church at Ephesus. But he said, I still have a problem with you. Because in essence, here's what he said. You're just going through the motions. You're busy, but your heart's not in it. You're teaching, but your heart's not in it. You're singing, but your heart's not in it. You're coming to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but the truth is your heart's not in it. I pastored long enough to know in the middle of the summer, in the last Sunday of July, what I'm preaching right now is very real. It's very real. Because it's summer. We just cruise in the summer. We'll pick it back up in the fall. I don't think Jesus is good with that church. You're in, but you're not all in because your heart's not in. Am I okay? And if it's any consolation, your pastor. And your ministry staff can be guilty of the very same thing. You preach you pretty fiery tonight, yeah? Because God kicked my tail in this week with two messages. The one this morning, and you have no idea how much I wrestled with that message this week. No idea. And then this one. God's like, hey, dude, you're not going to stand up there and preach to these people about not doing it with all their heart when the truth is, you probably haven't been doing everything you should be doing with all your heart. So put up or shut up. Obviously, I haven't shut up. So if it's any consolation, myself with the Tyler the Mike the Sid the Paul the Doug their wives we struggle with the very same thing preachers come and they stand in this pulpit and they're amazed at what God has done in liberal Kansas and it is amazing truth of the matter is he wants to do more and he could do more if we get the sin out of our life and start loving Jesus and start doing what we do because we're passionate about it and we're not playing around. A preacher how do I do that well Jesus didn't just he didn't just leave the ephesians hanging and I'm not going to leave you hanging tonight if there's sin in your life and you know that there's sin in your life no matter how you try to justify it no matter how you try to explain it away you know that there's sin in your life Or maybe you fall under the second category tonight. You're just going through the motions like the church at Ephesus. Jesus gave him a three-step plan back. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or You know how your kids know, mom and dad, you know how your kids know when you're dead serious? When you use those two words, or else. They know, they've crossed the line, and mama is finna explode. Or mama's fixing to get on the phone and call dad. And it ain't going to be pretty. Because when mama says, or else, that's my cue. That was Jesus' cue to the church at Ephesus. You need to get your act together. So what do we do? We remember where we used to be with Jesus. And we repent of whatever it is that has taken us away from that. And then we start living like we know we're supposed to live. It's not rocket science. that's, That's overused. So, how about this? It's not open heart surgery. It's really pretty simple. Nancy Lee DeMoss once wrote this We need revival when we do not love Him as we once did. We need revival when earthly interests and occupations are more important to us than eternal ones. When we would rather watch TV and read secular books and magazines than read the Bible and pray. When we have little or no desire for prayer. When we would rather make money than give money. When our Christianity is joyless and passionless. When we know truth in our heads that we are not practicing in our lives. We need revival when we make little effort to witness to the lost. When we have time for sports, recreation, and entertainment, but not for Bible study and prayer. When preaching lacks conviction, confrontation, and divine fire and anointing. When we seldom think thoughts of eternity. When God's people are more concerned about their jobs and their careers than about the kingdom of Christ and the salvation of the lost. When God's people get together with other believers and the conversation is primarily about the news, weather, and sports rather than the Lord. We need revival when church services are predictable and business as usual. When believers can be at odds with each other and not feel compelled to pursue reconciliation, we need revival. When our marriages are coexisting rather than full of the love of Christ. When our children are growing up to adopt worldly values, secular philosophies, and ungodly lifestyles. When we are more concerned about our children's education and their athletic activities than about the condition of their souls when we tolerate little sins of gossip, critical spirit, and lack of love. We need revival when our singing is half-hearted and our worship lifeless, when our prayers lack fervency, when our hearts are cold and our eyes are dry, when we aren't seeing regular evidence of the supernatural power of God, when we have ceased to weep, and to mourn and to grieve over our own sin and the sin of others, when we are content to live with explainable, ordinary Christianity and church service, when we are bored with worship. We need revival when people have to be entertained to be drawn to church, when our music and dress become patterned after the world, when we start fitting into and adapting to the world's standards rather than calling the world to adapt to God's standards of holiness. We don't long for the company and fellowship of God's people. When people have to be begged to give and to serve in the church, we need revival. When our giving is measured and calculated rather than extravagant and sacrificial, When we aren't seeing lost people drawn to Jesus on a regular basis, when we aren't exercising faith and believing God for the impossible, when we are more concerned about what others think about us than what God thinks about us, we need revival. When we are unmoved by the fact that billions of people in this world have never heard the name of Jesus, when we are unmoved by the thought of neighbors, business associates, and acquaintances who are lost and without Christ, when the lost world around us, doesn't know or care that we exist, when we are making little or no difference in the secular world around us, when the fire has gone out in our hearts, our marriages, and the church, when we are blind to the extent of our need and don't think we need revival is exactly when we need.